Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Hey, hey, hey. Did you see the winners? Of yeah. the Caldecott. I did. And the new... Why, what? <laughs> no! Wait, no! I, I, I don't know, real, dude! I don't know what that even means. <laughs> I just wanted to see if we were right with who won, and we weren't. We were in that one of the three books we talked about got an honor. But that's not the winner. That's not the... It's not the winner. Okay, fine. <laughs> but we... Dude, you have no idea how hard it is to predict these things. Like, every single picture book was up for contention... And we managed to pick one of the many, many books, and I should have chosen. Actually, I should have brought in Watercress in in there. It it had won all the mock Caldecotts in the entire country. It would have made sense for us to discuss it. So yeah, yeah. But the winner went to a book called Watercress. So I'm thinking when the banquet happens in June uh, in Washington D.C., uh, Watercress inspired clothing and designs very easy to do. Watercress jewelry. What's what's a watercress? Okay, so <laughs> it's like cilantro, but in a in a swampy area. You don't know the best part because you were just looking at the Newberries and the Caldecats, but um, there was a award given for nonfiction. It's given out every year. It's called the Cybert, and one of the honors. I'm sorry, it's called the what? It's called the Cybert, named after Mister Mister oh. Cybert. What do you think I said? I thought it ended with a G. Cybert. <laughs> Cyberg. Cyber. <laughs> I was like, ladies and gentlemen, I have a new proposal. We need to rename the Cybert the Cyborg. <laughs> Cyborg, you know. And the Cyborg Award. <laughs> beep, beep, boop, up. Goes to, oh my God. That would make the, everyone would want to watch that. How would no one want to watch that? That's amazing. No, it's for the best nonfiction. And uh, the honor this year went to Summertime Sleepers, Animals That Estivate. Uh, this is a book that was written by Melissa Stewart, but, uh, do you happen to remember a Miss Sarah Brannon who once illustrated me as a beaver and you as a porcupine? Yeah. Yeah. She is now an award-winning ALA-accredited nonfiction illustrator. Cool. It, friend of the show, Sarah Brannon. She's a cyborg. She's a cyborg. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. Every single person who wins this award is now going to be called a cyborg. And I utterly approve of this choice. This is a great idea. So there were a lot of firsts with these uh, these celebrations, I should say. Uh, the first trans author to win a Newbery honor and a Stonewall, or just a Newbery honor at all, uh, that was Kyle Lukoff for, you know, Too Bright to See, which I thought was going to get the Newbery proper, but that's okay. Got a Newbery honor, that's all right. The first posthumous Caldecott honor, of course, that's going to Unspeakable. With, yeah. Yeah, Floyd Cooper. That's never happened before. We have found out that in 1924, there was a posthumous Newberry honor. Thank you, Katie Horning, for doing the research on that one. The first Asian-American female author whose book has won a Caldecott. Prove me wrong, people. I, I looked this up. I couldn't find that this was not true. Uh, that would be for Andrea Wang, of course, for, uh, for Watercrest. 
and and all that makes me think of of some of my some of my favorite firsts from the past. So, the first African American to win a Caldecott um, that actually went to the Dillons, uh, Leo and Diane Dillon for, and we did this. Why do mosquitoes buzz in people's ears? Oh, that right? was a good one. That was a good one. It was a very good one. But it is lesser known that they also won the Caldecott Award the next year. They won it two years in a row, nice. which was just kind of like just rubbing it in people's faces. Like, oh, you oh, you think you can do art? No, you can't, because we can do it better. So uh, I was thinking with, with all this in the air, maybe we should do that book. So get ready, because here it comes. Okay. Boom! Ashanti to Zulu. Yes, that's right. African Traditions. By? Margaret Musgrove. Sure. Illustrated by? Leo and Diane Dillon. There you go. A very different book. This isn't the uh, paper cutouts like the Mosquito one. Not at all. They could change their style like that, baby. They could do, yeah, kind of like a more cartoony, kind of a flat style. I thought about doing another book that was very similar that was called Who's in Rabbit's House Tonight, but then I thought, you know what? This book, this book is a fascinating book um, because it, you know, it came out in 1976 and is, you know, at a time when, you know, racism about Africa is rampant in America and is actually talking about different tribes around the African continent and how different they are. Oh, so it's not just... Africa? Like, Curious <laughs> George is from Africa? Jerk, Curious George is from the country of Africa. <laughs> yeah, there's even a map at the back that shows where these different tribes would live within Africa, uh, which, from 1976, I pretty much, you know, this book, I had to, you know, I was like, well, oh, where will I find this book? Uh, it was in the nonfiction section of the 960s. So there you go. Still in the nonfiction section to this day. Go read that book. Okay. All right. While Kate does her read, why don't we do a little background information? Not on the Dillons. We've done the Dillons before. We know about the Dillons. I want to talk about Margaret Musgrove. I want to talk about the author of this book. Now, if you're like me and you noticed that this book was published in the 70s, you probably thought to yourself, much as I did, oh, this book was published in 1976 and it got the 1977 Caldecott Award. Oh, that must mean that she's white because that's how it worked. Back then, you would have a white author, and then you'd have some black illustrators, and maybe the white author would do some research, but maybe not. Maybe they'd sort of be like, meh, it comes from this tribe, maybe, we don't know. And that would be like the closest you would get to research. Dr. Margaret Musgrove is black. Uh, she was born in 1943 in Connecticut. Uh, she taught at Loyola University since 1991. Before that, she taught at community colleges in Massachusetts and Connecticut and Maryland. Uh, writing children's literature was her favorite course. She was tenured in 1996, and she got a Fulbright research grant to study in Ghana, West Africa in 1997 to 98. But of course, before then, she did a great deal of research to create Ashanti to Zulu African traditions. We'll talk a little bit about the fact that she mentions her sources at the beginning, the research that she did, what she consulted, all that stuff. Let me tell you a little something about Margaret Musgrove. You cannot find any information about her online. I am sorry. I looked high and I looked low. 
This should be a woman we would be learning about quite a lot considering how rare and interesting this book was and there is nothing, nothing on her online. She's alive today, people. You could probably have like someone go out and talk to her. Publishers Weekly could send a reporter tomorrow to talk to her. Are they doing that? Of course they aren't. So I'm just a little upset that there's not more information about her because this is a fascinating book and I would have loved to have heard directly from her where it came from. So hint, hint, people. Hint, hint. Hey, you're back. I'm back. You're back with the book. I read a book. You read a book that you're back with. It's an alphabetical book. It's an alphabet book. Yep. See, the clue was in the title. Ashanti to Zulu. Ah, yeah, ah, ah, it, A to Z. Ah, ah. I got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What'd they do for X? I actually don't remember. They have a tribe for every letter of the alphabet. They even have an X? They have an X. Okay. Well played. Yeah. Well played, guys, because was... X is always the most impossible letter. I always feel bad for anybody doing an alphabet book. Yeah, it's spelled X-H-O-S-A. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. I'm surprised this won a Caldecott. Really? Yeah, because maybe it's the printing, but the first page talks about weaving bright silk threads, and every page has these, like, muted colors. That might be the printing. If you'll notice, this is a this is not one of the original books. This was a reprint. It looks like a pre-bind. I'm just wondering if the printing job was as good on this one as on the original. But it was also, you know, the 70s. A time when bright colors were not a thing. That took the 80s, my friend. Oh, that's true. And hypercolors. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to go through every different... No, I don't think there's any reason to go through every but, single page. But, but I'll just highlight some of the ones that I like. One thing I'm, I'm curious about as you go through this is... This book was made in the 70s, certainly ahead of its time, but how has it aged since? I'm surely there are things that have not aged well. I mean... Unless there are traditions that are no longer being done, yeah. I think it aged fine. Yeah, good. Very good. It, it doesn't date itself by any means. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. You could tell me that these illustrations were done in the 70s, but I... Uh, it's impossible Only to tell because that, it's yeah. muted, am I like, eh. Yeah, that's actually a good point. There's, <laughs> It's not utilizing some sort of... Oh, God, what was the guy who worked with the Beatles on Yellow Submarine, that, like, Peter Max, like, style or anything like that? It, it's, yeah, it's not trying to be trendy. Right. Yeah. Um, but only when we, when I got to the Fonty page where they talk about um, offering their guests bubbly palm wine uh, from trees, did I realize that, oh, there's an animal on every single page. Oh. And I wonder what the significance of the animal on every page is. Because some of the uh, descriptions mention an animal and some don't. Huh. Do you think the animal begins with every letter that it appears on? I don't think so, only because um, there's a tribe that, uh, there's a story about a crocodile and that tribe's name starts with a B. Oh, okay. And they show a crocodile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right there. Yeah. So. So it probably, if anything, the animal has a tie directly to the tribe rather than to the letter. But I kind of wish that it was, you know, mentioned or explained somewhere. No, they weren't for much for the end papers or the author or there's an author's note at the beginning, but it's mostly to say I actually did my research um, more than anything else. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But but this this was interesting, though, with the Fonti tribe that 
their wine comes from tree trunks. And I was like, wine can come from trees? Well, the palm oil, right? Isn't palm oil like a whole thing? I don't know about palm wine, but I have heard of palm wine. I mean, they specifically call it wine. I don't know much about palm wine. I know it exists. I didn't know it came from trunks. So it's like sap then. Yeah. I I mean, if we can get maple syrup from sap, why wouldn't you get something you could then... I would like a maple wine, please. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That sounds terrible. That's what I'm going to call maple syrup now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, you'd have to have that ferment and uh, that's rum. Ooh, why isn't there maple syrup rum? There's there maple there's maple syrup whiskey because yeah. Montreal okay, has sortilage. So. Right. so that makes sense. You can you can turn anything into alcohol. If you want to. Yeah. <laughs> but there's one page that um, is really disturbing to me o- only because the eyes are completely black. Right. There's no pupil. There's no like white of the yeah, and that's not usually the case in most of these pictures. No. Yeah, it's just... It's just this one picture where... The horse. The horse's eyes are completely black. What it is is that they're praying because... Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. They they talk about how they have to pray five times a day, Mm -hmm. and Islam is their religion, and the mosque is their church, but it doesn't look like their eyes are closed. It just looks like they want to steal my soul. Right, yeah. That's an odd artistic choice on the illustrator's part. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, for the Ikema tribe, um, I really like this one because there's a story about there's this tiny bird that really likes honey, but it can't get into the beehive. So whenever the bird sees a person, it gets really excited and it flies to the person. I've heard of this bird. Who then, like, the person will help, like, you know, get to the, the honeycomb and it'll give a little bit of the honeycomb to the bird, but I'm just thinking, like, what is this bird thinking in its head? Like, hey, hey, kid. <laughs> the kid with the opposable thumbs. I need my fix. <laughs> you want to get some honey? What's, you want to help out a little birdie here? <laughs> what's What's the bird, do you know? Oh, uh, it's a honey something. Uh, I will... I will put the name of the bird in the show notes, people. I, I don't, I was caught unawares. I don't know the name of the bird. It's like the honey sap or something. Well, then I'm reading about the Coon tribe where they can find water under the, under the desert sand. Oh. What threw me off, though, is that it says they carry reeds in their skin bags. And I was like, come now, what up? They do what now? I'm thinking leather? Right. Animal skins. Right. Yeah. But just the way that it was phrased just yeah, made me go. I would have phrased can, it differently. Can you but... just change? Yeah. The wording. Yeah. Because so it... they douse. Is that what they're saying? They 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 do dowsing to find water under the ground. Um, they find a place where there's water. They push these reeds into the sand right, and then yeah. slowly suck up the water. Oh. And then they store the water in ostrich eggshells. <gasps> I love ostriches. There is nothing about this I don't like. <laughs> Excellent. I, I just don't like the word skin bags. Okay, well, you know, granted. <laughs> granted to that. Yeah, I'm with you. What I really like about the Maasai women mm. is that they completely shave their heads and then they wear pounds and pounds of jewelry. Yeah, they, they're awesome. Which I imagine would be extremely heavy. Yep. <laughs> However, the fact that they, like, shave their heads completely bald, that's cool. Well, it's funny. The book that I was going to bring in, Who's in Rabbit's House, the other book that's very similar looking to Why Mosquitoes Buzz in People's Ears, is a Maasai folktale. Oh. Um, and I I was this close to bringing it. And there's a lot of images that 
the Dylans do very different from these images. I should do a compare and contrast um, of the Maasai. Uh, so yeah, Interesting. It, it, it is apparently something they brought up more than once yeah, in different books. Because the men wear uh, like braided hair, but mm-hmm. the women completely shave it off. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Well, Thank makes, you. Also makes sense in the really hot sun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now this is a little odd is that for the indaka people whenever the women get married they wrap the bride in so much cloth that it says quote no one knows how big she is but wouldn't that be extremely hot well (laughs) i don't know what part of africa i mean they're, they're not i guess you can look at the map at the back but i don't know what the different temperate zones are because some of these tribes are going to live in like you know desert areas but some of them are going to live in areas on the coast where you have cooler air coming in they are exactly in the center like i don't know it's hard to tell is there a certain time of year that you that's what i was wondering i was like are they all gonna get married like in the winter time (laughs) well right whatever that might constitute because immediately i was like oh my gosh that would be so hot it would be a little hot yeah and then you have a veil and Mm -hmm. then there's like i don't know i i I just saw that and i was like i I am sweating for her (laughs) well it's freezing outside right now so that feels good because i was not when i got married i was not wearing tons and tons of cloth but you were still sweating and i was sweating so much buckets baby (laughs) there's tribes that are essentially like gypsies they can pick up their house and move anytime they want nomadic tribes yeah 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 i thought that was kind of cool that's nice and then when you flip the page and they talk about the sutu uh girls when they get married they're not given a bouquet of flowers they're given a magic beaded doll Mm. and they have to come up with a name of the doll and then later when she has her baby she gives that same name to her child. So Ooh. does that have to... I mean, usually when you think of, like, naming a kid, you're like, okay, I need a boy name or mm-hmm, a girl mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm. So I wonder... Well, it could be that the names are androgynous. That that's what I'm wondering. That would work like, for either boy or girl in some way. Yeah. Or oh, in, instead of it being, like, a masculine name or feminine name, right. is it something more like, uh, you know, it's a name for, like water or fire mm-hmm. or love or something like yeah, that you know right that would just make sense yeah i don't know i just thought yeah, that was interesting good question and then on the opposite page they talk about the men of this tribe wearing veils which i was like you usually don't hear about men wearing veils you usually hear about women wearing veils covering their face only being able to see the eyes mm-hmm. so i thought that that was an interesting flip because the men will listen, it says, with great respect to the poetry and stories of the women. Mm. Which I was like, oh. That's nice. It's, it's interesting. It's it's a flip of what you usually hear. Yeah. The choices that Musgrove, the, uh, the author, made, because I'm sure she had a range of different tribes she could use, and so what details she chooses to bring out and mm-hmm. mention are very key and very systematic uh, and very careful in this book. Yeah. Though I will admit when I got to W, I was like, ooh, is it going to be about Wakanda? No. <laughs> um, no, baby. No. These are only real tribes. I know, but it would be really cool, though. That's all right. <laughs> Apparently, I've heard that the design of a lot of the different people in Black Panther, the movie, were based on actual tribal Well, I was going to say, when so, we were talking about yeah. women who shave their heads. Right. 
I well, mean, yeah, that was yeah immediately what I thought. Would. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I, I I went through the whole book. It's I it's really interesting that they come up with a name for every single letter of the alphabet. So. Yeah, it's funny. I never until you brought it up, uh, it hadn't really occurred to me that the only kind of art you'd seen from the Dylans was from Why Do Mosquitoes Buzz in People's Ears. Um, whereas this is the style that I associate them with more because they did a lot of book covers. So they did like Wrinkle in Time and they did, you know, things sort of in this style. They liked changing their style from book to book. It was kind of like a challenge that they, they brought to themselves. Remember, these these two apparently simultaneously would illustrate. I still don't understand. No one's been able to explain that one to me, but it, it's apparently what they did. Um, there's a lot of things I, I like about this. I really like the author's note at the start, uh, how Margaret Musgrove mentioned studying in Ghana. Uh, then she did a lot of studying at the Schomburg Center for Research of Black Culture, which is a division of New York Public Library. Um, I would love to hear how Musgrove worked with the Dillons on this art, since the note at the beginning makes it clear that she was holding them to pretty high standards in terms of accuracy. And I did find recordings of Newberry and Caldecott speeches. So I thought, oh, I'll listen to that while you're reading this and, and I'll see. They have all sorts of years, but they don't have this year. So, oh. so I listened to the acceptance speech of why mosquitoes buzz in people's ears because I figured, you know, why not? And what I discovered was that... Uh, Leo Dillon had a strong New York accent. Um, and it, the recordings go all the way back to 1945. So if y'all want to listen to Robert Lawson talk about Rabbit Hill, good news for you. <laughs> you can do that. Um, now, one thing that I did feel like dated, like if this book were to come out today, would it look exactly like this? And I don't think it would. Because a lot of the books about Africa that come out for kids today really make a big point about, okay, traditionally this is what people would wear but people like there are big cities there are cars there are like you know large urban areas it doesn't all look like this um and in fact they try to like push back against you know yes these traditional tribes exist but there's also parts of Af you know different african nations that are very modernized as well and this is something that people need to remember so if people want to see um, a book that does that, last year there was a book called Africa, Amazing Africa by Adenuke. It came out in 2021. Uh, it was the best book on the subject. It goes through every single country in Africa, um, and it's super good. So, yay. Ratings time. So I definitely see why this is in the nonfiction section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still straight nonfiction. I mean, she doesn't have fake dialogue she doesn't do anything yeah there's no story fake. there's no story it's, it's just, just an alphabet book it's just facts about different african traditions and tribes from around the continent of africa yes in different countries yes and she names the tribes. Yes. yes i don't like the art as much as i do the mosquito book oh yeah well i mean it's more a story <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was interesting to learn about the different traditions, about the names of the tribes and where exactly they are in Africa. I just wouldn't call this a favorite of mine. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I put it a down the middle five. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, like I say, there, there are things I'd change if it came out today for its time. It was so ahead of its time. I see why it came, it got a, well, also I looked at what it was up against. I looked at the Caldecott honors and I was like, oh, oh Yeah. Oh no, this was this was clearly going to be the winner that year. There wasn't much competition. Um, but it probably just blew people away to have someone actually do research 
and distinguish between different types of tribes uh, in different African countries around the continent. Uh, I love the Dylan's art. I'm I'm a sucker for their art. They could, they they could draw anything, and I'm I'd be crazy for it. So I really like this art. I think it's remarkably researched and very well written and very carefully written. Um, but you know, I'd like to see some modernization, at least a hat tip to that in some way. Um, so I, I give it a, I give it a 6.5. Okay. So it's a toe over the line class. Toe over the line. Toe over the line class. Letters time. Okay. Not much because we were talking about what was going to win the Newberry and the Caldecott and everybody got wrapped up in that. And that's pretty much only place the conversation went, but I did want to shout out the fact we discussed three books. One of them was Wishes, and the illustrator of Wishes, Victo Nagai, and I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing her last name, uh, wrote to thank us for talking about her, and, and we thought that was pretty neat. That was amazing. It was re- really, really, really <laughs> neat. Yeah. Because that was the book that I thought was going to win. I know. Of the three. That's a, uh, one day, man, she'll get it. She'll get it one of these days. I, I have faith. It's just, you know, it's like the second children's book she's done. She's got loads of talent. It'll, it'll happen. By gum, it'll happen. Grown-up things we like. Um, okay, so I went to Minneapolis and back uh, driving with a dog, which means that's a lot of time in a car. In the winter. In the winter. From to Minnesota. Yes. <laughs> and back. Yep. So during that time, uh, we listened to this podcast called Sweet Bobby. Have you ever heard of it? No, I have not. Oh my gosh. It is a six-part investigation into the craziest catfishing story you will ever hear. So true crime. Uh, yep. Uh, cool. It's about a woman who falls in love with this man, but um, it's complicated, and I guarantee you have never heard anything like this before. It, it came out in October of 2021 and was ranked in Apple's uh, podcast top five programs, while The Guardian listed it as number one in its 20 best podcasts of 2021. Whoa. Yeah. Is it British or is it American? It is British. Okay. Um, so go check it out if you want to hear a really weird story about love and true crime and catfishing. And what's that name again? Uh, Sweet Bobby. Sweet Bobby. It's a good name. Yeah. All right. That's very good. It's, it's fascinating. Oh, very nice. And I'm not big into like the whole catfishing thing, but this has got a twist that you will not see coming. Nice. Yeah. Very intriguing. Um, so, you know, I don't watch much Ryan Murphy. Do you watch much Ryan nope. Murphy? Yeah, because American Horror Story, I was not particularly interested. Oh, I, I watched maybe like the first few seasons of that and then I stopped after. The first few seasons of that. Okay, so you're well, totally into like, Ryan Murphy is what no, you're No, no, no. There was like <laughs> 10 seasons and I maybe watched two or three. Still, man, that's way more than me. I was never into, I mean, I just I didn't I'm watch not, Glee. I'm not, well, no, I didn't watch Glee either. So I wasn't really into him until he started doing his American Crime Story series. Um, and remember, he started with O.J. Simpson, and oh, right. uh, I enjoyed that a lot. I loved who he cast. Um, he, of course, his his muse, as far as I'm concerned, is Sarah Paulson, uh, yep. and she's every in everything he does. Um, I wasn't as interested in the second season because it was like the murder of Versace, and who cares about Versace? I don't care about Versace. But the third season is American Crime Story Impeachment, and that's all about Monica Lewinsky with executive producer 
Monica Lewinsky. Nice. So now that's very interesting. Uh, Monica Lewinsky is being played by Beanie Feldstein. Oh, nice. Oh, I love Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. And Beanie Feldstein is another executive producer on this. So you know that she and Monica are working side by side. Linda Tripp is Sarah Paulson. That's uh, right. Of course. Um, Hillary Clinton is Edie Falco, which huh. is just fantastic, I have to say. But very shockingly good. And I would not have called him on this. I've seen people play Bill Clinton before. They either get the accent wrong. Who plays Bill Clinton? Or the nose, or they're not tall enough. Who this plays Bill Clinton? This person's tall enough. Who is it? It's Clive Owen. Which you would not think, but it's, at when you first see him, it is actually eerie. And he got the accent. He huh. got it down. He got that weird speech thing that Clinton would do, where it was almost like he was talking through his nose. It's Good. It's really good. So where can you good. watch it? We watch it on Hulu. I've only watched the, the first episode or so, but it's it's very good. We will be returning to it. Okay. It is it it is it is it if you lived through that time, highly enjoyable. Okay. Alright. <laughs> okay, so whew, we've done our, our, our serious picture book. We'll have to do a pretty silly it, it was a good picture book one to do. Well, this, yeah. now we're getting into February, which is yes. Black History Month. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Oh, yeah, this is kind of appropriate for that. That's very true. But February is also the time of love. All I should right. find a love picture book classic. They do exist. They're always really weird. Okay. All right. Like, love you forever. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking like romantic love picture books. Oh. They're really bizarre. With like a princess? And no, a... no, no. Well, sometimes, sometimes they're just with a dude. <laughs> it's It can be, there's a range. There's a range of romantically I, I can't um, wait to hear what you come up with. Uh, and if, listeners, if you can think of a good valent, a classic Valentine's Day picture book, because I don't think we've ever done a specifically Valentine's Day one. I would be absolutely fascinated to hear what you think is a classic Valentine's. I can think of one. Um, and let's see if you are thinking of the same one I am. Okay. All right. And until we can figure out what that book will be, I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate, that's Fuse number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our resident Drewsicle is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird.